Welcome back to another episode of Extra Innings, a Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Matt Breen, and I'm joined today by Scott Lauber and Bob Brookover. Same cast every week. I don't know why we do the introductions. Like it's going to be a surprise character joining us. I can see this thing going on forever. <laughs> <laughs> it just, well, it just like, might have to. With this cast, next week we're going to do the uh, random June 11th. Uh, 1987 game you know nothing happened okay let's go i covered we're not i covered it though yeah i covered it (laughs) but we're um so obviously there's no baseball and if you've been with us the last few weeks we've picked a a game in philly's history so far they haven't been that june 11th midweek random game but they've they've been iconic games we did the 93 clincher against the braves we did game five the nlcs in 1980 and today we are doing game four of the 2008 NLCS, which it wasn't the clincher, but I think it, it was, in theory, the game that clinched the pennant for the Phillies. It was the, the night before we go back to game three, and the, Do- the Phillies were up two, two games and nothing, and the Dodgers really outclassed the Phillies. Game three at Dodger Stadium, and I remember watching that game thinking, all right, you know, this is it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be a series, and the next night, Matt Steyer, Shane Victorino's home runs, and from that point on, that was the moment me watching it, I could say that this team's going to win the World Series. I know a lot of people go back to the Victorino Grand Slam against uh, CeCe Sabathia in the DS, but I I think it really was this night in the NLCS that you could say this team is ready to win the World Series. Yeah, I think I agree with that, uh, Matt. You know, so I was there. I was at Dodger Stadium that night. writing for the Wilmington News Journal. And I'll, I'll, I'll share this, that, um, you know, they went from being down, uh, down in the game to, um, you know, tying it on the Victorino homer, going ahead on the stairs homer. And in the span of, you know, basically like a couple of innings, you went from thinking, oh, well, I mean, the series is going to be even, to Joe Torre saying after the game that the Dodgers were not going to work out the following day on the off day. And, you know, the Dodgers just seemed so stunned at what had happened. Um, again, you know, we talked last week in the 1980 um, Game 5 against the Astros, the comeback against Nolan Ryan, how fast it happened. It was three pitches, they loaded the bases, and then they, they you know, Pete Rose walked and off they went, and uh, they were back. And it didn't happen quite that quickly, but, you know, it felt like it was really, really quick in that um, – in that uh, in the inning where where uh, where Victorino and Stairs homered, um, you know, it just it just felt like it was it was uh, in the eighth inning there. It just felt like quite a, quite a turn of events, and like the whole series turned on that inning. For me, it was the um, watching this game was the first time I watched this game in its entirety because I had been covering the Eagles at the time, and I they the Eagles had played Sunday um, in San Francisco, and I remember two things I remember about that trip. One is running into Gary Papa, Channel 6, the late Channel mm-hmm. 6, on, on the streets. We, we crossed by each other, and we saw each other. And, hey, Gary, what do you – and Gary, what do you think? And he knew I'd covered the Phillies for a long time. because what do you think about the Phillies? I said, Gary, I think they're going to win the World Series. He goes, me too. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, I remember that, which is, a, which is a nice memory about a nice man. Um, but I also – was exhausted when I got back from San Francisco on a red eye the next day. So I got home. I went to the Eagles news conference at noon, the Andy Reid news conference by game time. I was just dead tired. I fell asleep. 
And I woke up in like the sixth inning, went downstairs. I was like, okay, let's watch this game from here, which that is really where the game starts developing into, into what it became. Um, I did, but I just remember think, watching those two home runs by Victorino and it's still that Victorino home run. It had to clear the fence by about a centimeter. Yeah. Uh, it was just a straight line drive. And then, um, you know, Matt Stairs home run almost cleared the stadium. And I, you know, I've been to Dodger Stadium many times. I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever saw a home run hit that deep into those bleachers in my life. Um, and it was just, it, it, it really is an iconic game. And, it, and as Matt said, it's the game where he said, well, you know, th- this team is ready to win a World Series. And you know, the other thing that struck me while watching this game was the Phillies were just a better team than than, than the Dodgers. Just they, they outclassed the Dodgers, who had Manny Ramirez and, and not much else in terms of at, at the plate. Yeah, and I, I, Bob, you said you turned it on the sixth inning. So did, did you watch live the – when the bases were loaded, Ryan Madsen's in, one out. Oh, oh, oh! I was watching live, and yeah, what, what? Because at that point, that that game can end right there. Sure, there, I mean there no were there were a number of ways the Phillies could have lost this game. Uh, Loney's ball in the was it the first inning. If that clears the fence, right? So that's yeah, that's that's a home run. You know, if 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 they don't get out of that jam in the what was it the sixth, right? Yeah, it was if the, you know second and third, nobody out. You know, um, they. That play, the Chase Utley play, I had seen that play before in 1993 of all times. I don't know if you guys remember this. Matt's probably got a better chance because he grew up around here. Uh, but you were – how old were you in 1993, Matt? I was in kindergarten. <laughs> you probably don't remember it then. The Phillies are playing in L.A. Um, and the, the Dodgers load the bases with nobody out, Mitch Williams – and I forget who hit the ball, but Mickey Morandini makes this diving catch, doubles the guy off. The Phillies are up by a run at this point. Doubles the guy off second base. And all I can remember is Tommy Lasorda was eight steps out of the dugout celebrating a victory and had to, like, <laughs> cheapishly go back to the dugout. The next guy makes an out. The Phillies win the game 7-6. to The last game of April, they finished that April 17-5, and which – but that, that play reminded me so much of of that Mickey Morandini play, the Utley play. Obviously, the Utley play even, you know, will go down in history as one of the one of his many great postseason defenses. Yeah, I mean, he's going to top it in the World Series, right, with the play in Game right. Five and, and the play at the plate. But yeah, I mean, that was a that was a uh, in, on the rewatch. I thought, I mean, that was a better play than I gave it credit for at the time. Uh, another sneaky good play in this game defensively was Victorino on the Loney ball in the first inning. He backhands that ball off the wall. He backhands it. I mean, I mean not backhand, barehands it off the wall. Barehands it, gets it in with a great Victorino throw, and it might have saved a run. So instead of two to one, I mean, instead of two two, it's two one. Um, and uh, I thought that was a big play in the game. Um, there were just there were there were a lot of little things that. Um, you know, when you're not uh, when you're not trying to hit a deadline and you're uh, just sort of sitting back and rewatching it, that you appreciate a whole lot more than you did uh, when you were watching it live. Well, let me t- discuss that because I went back and read the Scott Lauber Wilmington News Journal story um, <laughs> from that day. Yeah. And, um, what was that what experience was that like? like cover- covering that game because it was just it was one of those nightmare. If you're if you're the writer sitting and watching the game, 
you actually have the, oh, I feel sorry for the writers right now feeling is that game is turning eight different ways. So here's my biggest disappointment about going back <coughs> over this game this week. So I went to the newspapers.com archive, which has been a, a godsend during, during the shutdown. You could spend hours down that rabbit hole of looking at old stories. So I went to look up what I wrote that night and a little kind of inside baseball into newspapers. So we ha- you have different editions that you have to, that you make. And the further away you are from the city that you're writing in, the, the, the earlier that edition is. So you're writing kind of for um, a first edition, which is like you're writing a, a story before the game even starts. And then you're writing for a middle edition, which uh, is writing during the game. And then you're writing for a final edition. And I, I guess what must have happened that night um, is that we probably passed our final edition and the game hadn't ended yet. And so we did what they call a lift edition, which is like you you literally lift the story right out and you put a new story right in almost as soon as the game is over. Well, the newspapers.com archive does not have the latest edition, and I can't find the latest edition of that story anywhere in, in, my, in my office here at home. So I don't know what I wound up writing that night. I'd love to know. I think we, I think we should call historicalnewspapers.com and complain about not getting the final edition of the well, Wilmington no, News Journal. Like I literally considered if there were if there if there I'm sure there's no one in that newsroom like calling the news journal and being like how do I get the latest edi- how do I get the lift edition? I don't even know how yeah. many people that edition went to. You might have had to live next to the newspaper to get that that edition of the paper. So I mean you know, I think the version that I saw on newspapers.com, there, it's, there's a lot of stuff about the Ryan Howard error. Um, you, had the, you had the Phillies lose oh. that night, which, I mean, we've all been there. I totally we, did. We've all I been totally there. Did. So he makes that error. It's 5-3. <laughs> and then, you know, the next thing you know, okay, Victorino ties the game. But next thing you know, like the Dodgers have the bases loaded against, against uh, or, or – he makes that error and then they load the bases and you're like, well, they're, they're, this is, they're down 5-3 and they're going to be down 7-3 or 8-3 uh, before I get a chance to look up again. So, yeah, I had them losing. And, and then, of course, you know, Victorino ties it the following inning and, you know, you, you're still kind of wondering, like, can they pull this out? So, yeah, it was just that, that, that edition story that was on newspapers.com was an absolute mess. And just know, though, it only took like nine or ten days off your life. <laughs> yeah, like I said, the rewatch was way more enjoyable. Way more enjoyable. I was like, damn, this is a really good game. And if I knew we could read that really good story you wrote, but it's lost to history. We, I have no idea. I, have no idea. I loved when um, Stairs hits the homer. And they show him like a minute later. And he's in the dugout. He's got his jacket back on. And he's standing there like. Nothing happened. He he's like a mercenary. He just he goes out, pinch hits, takes a couple swings, hits a Titanic home run, and then he's back in the dugout, just hanging out. No big deal. It almost looked like a coach in the dugout. I I, I have some great Matt Stairs stories. I don't know if you want me to do it now or if you want if you want to get back to it. No, um, do it now. Okay, go go okay, right so, now. So Stairs gets acquired that August uh, in a waiver trade. Phillies were at Wrigley Field in Chicago and. As, as it would happen when, when a guy gets acquired um, in, a, in a trade like that, we're all kind of the five of us or six of us who were on that road trip are kind of clustered around his locker before the game. We're talking to him. And if you've ever talked to Matt Stairs, and I know you guys have uh, plenty of times, he's one of the most down-to-earth, normal guys uh, you, you'll, you'll ever meet. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, the guy at the, 
you know, if you walked into a bar and you were just talking to a stranger and he was the nicest guy, I mean, like, you know, it's just like you talk to him and you feel like you've known him forever. And we were all meeting him for the first time that day. So he's telling us a little bit about, you know, his background and all the places he's been and, and this and that. And then somebody asked the question about like, how are you such a good, how have you been so good over the years as a pinch hitter? Like you've, you seem to have mastered this role that you're in. And he goes, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you this right now. And you never have to ask me about this anytime I hit a, a home run because the answer is always going to be the same. I look for fastballs and I try to crush them and hit them out of the ballpark. <laughs> like, that's it. And I, I, I think a lot of us kind of laughed. I mean, Todd Zalecki was there and I was there and there a few other people there. And I think we kind of laughed and it was like, ha ha, that's funny. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I will spit on any off-speed pitch. I will wait you out for a fastball, and I will swing as hard as I can and try to hit the thing out of the ballpark. And it was like, okay, that's – and sure enough, like every single time he ever had a big hit, the rest of – you know, inevitably there would be a radio guy from out of town or somebody who would say, like, what were you looking for on that pitch? And, we'd all, and he'd kind of look at us like, you know what's coming, and he'd be like, I pick out a fastball and I just try to crush it. And – there might have been uh, another colorful word in there somewhere or but whatever. But, I mean, his, his process was pretty simple. And then I remember coming home shortly after that road trip in Chicago. And we're at Citizens Bank Park. It's before batting practice. So it's like 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. And I see stairs come out with a fungo bat and a tee. And there are some pitchers running in the outfield. But the ballpark's pretty much empty. He puts the tee on home plate. He puts a ball on top of the tee. He gets there, he takes the fungo bat, and flat-footed, he's hitting bombs out of the ballpark off a tee with a fungo bat. And I'm like, this guy's insane. I mean, he's crazy. You know, I've never seen anyone do that before. I've never seen anyone do it since. But he was like the prototypical, like, beer league softball, grip it and rip it, I'm going to just hit the ball as far as I can kind of guy. And he just absolutely... I mean, I don't think I've seen a ball. You said it, Bob. I've never seen a ball hit that far at Dodger Stadium before. He just – the ball sounded different. I, I was writing, and my head snapped up, and, you know, I saw the ball kind of – who knows where it landed, but it was – I mean, he was just an unbelievable uh, grip it and rip it, make it as simple as you possibly can, power guy. It, after the game with Ken Rosenthal on the field – that's exactly what he said. I think yep. Rosenthal asked him, what was your approach or mindset? And he said, I, every time up there, I just try to swing for the fences. And it's just, you don't, because it, it's funny, the interview before that was Victorino, and he used like every cliche about there's 27 outs and we never give up. And you just, you have the same approach every time. And, and then they go to Matt Stairs and he's just like, yeah, just, just try to swing for the fences. And it's just so funny to hear both interviews back to back. Where a guy you don't usually hear a guy so blatantly honest, and here you know you have said he he had been saying it all season that all he tries to do is hit homer. It wasn't even so much I try to hit a home run because no one ever says they tried to hit one, right? I mean, everyone says, well, you know, I, I squared it up or whatever, and they make it sound like they got lucky. He specifically says, I wait for a fastball. Like he's not going to swing if you throw it <laughs> off speed pitch. So if you're and he puts that out there. So if you're a pitcher, why on earth would you ever throw him one? And you know, I remember thinking, like, Broxton was the perfect matchup for him. I mean, the guy comes in, he throws gas. It's 95 and, and harder, and that's exactly what Stairs likes. He's got it timed up, and he's just going to try to tee off on one the same way he tees off on a ball with a fungo bat. I mean, it, it, was, it was absolutely, like, 
hitting at its most basic level. You know, to, to me, one of the, I guess we're all over the place here, but one of the most underrated um, at-bats in that game is Ryan Howard's single off Quo. Because, and I really didn't remember this at all, but if you, after you watch Quo pitch the, the, his first inning out there, the way he was throwing, I was like, if I'm Joe Torrey, I don't take this guy out ever. Um, and that, I guess a lefty getting a hit off a lefty, and I know he was coming off some arm surgery, but he looked so good. And to take him out of that game, I think changed changed the whole dynamic of that. Yeah, game. I mean, he not only um, not only is Howard does Howard get a hit off a lefty who's dealing, and and Howard, you know, was you know lefty versus lefty, right, is always difficult. Um, but obviously, Tory wanted that matchup because he left Quo into hit the the inning before right. and you were like okay you know you know it's it's a it's a 5-3 game ordinarily you'd want to pinch hit there and he he obviously wanted quote for Howard and and Howard undoes it right right away with a with a leadoff single and then he goes to Corey Wade and not Broxton and um McCarver seemed to second guess that even at the time on the broadcast so there's a lot going on there uh for with Joe Torrey in terms of how he was managing his bullpen and I know, Bob, you had mentioned that the Phillies team was a lot better than this Dodgers team. But I, I could imagine this Dodgers team is kind of what, like, the Astros team was like in 80. Like, to, to you, as someone that grew up around that, that era of baseball, and you recognize a lot of those names. Because it seems like this Dodgers team, it was like a lot of guys that they're not Hall of Famers, but they were at one point – on that on that path, or they at least were like one super like star players of that era. They had no Mark Garcia Parabas on the bench. Obviously, Manny Ramirez was awesome. Derek Lowe was a front line starting pitcher. Um, James Loney was really good. Russell Martin was really good. Uh, Andrew Jones was was on the DL, I think, at this point, but he was on the roster. Like there was a Jeff Kent made the last out. Matt Kemp, yeah, was Matt a young Kemp. It's like you, I'm point. looking at this. I'm like, damn, this team's this team was really good for like now. You look back and like they, they were they, they were they were young though. They, yeah, they, they, they were either were... young or old. Like Clayton Kershaw was in the bullpen, but right. it's like you look at that roster. It's like a lot of names of that. Seeing era. Clayton, seeing twenty year old Clayton, seeing twenty year old Clayton Kershaw come in was quite a quite a thing to to look at. And yeah, remember. I, I that forgot was, about that. that was, it's such a such a baby youngest baby. player in baseball, I think they said that year. At that, yeah. at that time, yeah, he was 20 years old. And um well, well, we might as well talk about this right now. You know, they they criticized Charlie Manuel, J- Joe Buck and specifically Tim McCarver, um who we who we got to see for a second straight broadcast. Uh, actually, yeah, that's right. So we, we're yeah, exclusively doing right. Tim McCarver games right. from here on out. <laughs> but uh, so you know they were very critical when they walked Manny Ramirez when Charlie opted to walk Manny Ramirez in the first season. and because of the because of the Victorino play they they keep him from scoring but I don't blame him. I mean Manny Ramirez that postseason I think he I think he hit 555 and he hit 396 right. in the last two months after the Dodgers had gotten him uh, one of the things to me amazing. You know, and just as I'm watching this, I'm like, God, like, so can you, could you ever imagine like Manny Ramirez wouldn't be a Hall of Famer when you, when no. you were watching that game? And then you look at his career numbers 555 home runs, 1800 RBIs, 996 OPS, 
312 career, batting average 411 on base percentage. And, and it's like, what is wrong with this picture? You know, there's obviously other guys, but he's he's one of the all-timers. And if anybody had the right to and knew to walk Manny Ramirez, it was Charlie Manuel because he had seen the best of Manny. If, if Manny is not the best right-handed hitter I've ever seen um, – in person live uh he's in the top three i mean he's he's he was great and this was manny at the height of his power he was you know it was a crazy year for him he started the year with the red Sox, and uh then he got traded for being well he did everything he possibly could to get out of there he pushed the he he shoved the traveling secretary in houston knocked him over on the on the you know i mean that was a big uh a big, a big deal there. A big story there. He gets <coughs> traded over to the Dodgers at, at at the at the deadline. He, as you said, he hits three ninety six. Um, you know, they were. I remember um, beyond the left field wall. Um, you know, at Dodger Stadium, you have that great vista with the mountains out there, and they had Manny Wood out there in left field. I mean, he was. You saw the reaction in Dodger Stadium when he comes to bat, especially the first time in the game. Um, and then there was an at bat later in the game. I mean, they loved him out there. He was um, in a contract drive, too. He was going to be a free agent. And I remember him kind of holding court uh, one day. I think it was an off day in the series uh, in Philly, or maybe it was the day before, kind of holding court in the Dodgers clubhouse. And I remember thinking, like, did somebody, like, inhabit Manny's body? You know, because this guy was not – he was surly. He was not – didn't want to talk to the media. He wasn't talking to anybody in the Boston media. And he, it was, he couldn't have been more, you know, more, more, um, uh, more sort of uh, uh, charming almost, you know, like it, it was like he was clearly trying to restore his image as he was also trying to build his value. He was, man, he was, he was Manny not was, being Manny. Yeah, he was just Manny, <laughs> Manny's uh, an odd guy. And, and so the, there was all of that going on. I would have walked him every single time he came up, no matter what the situation was, because he was that good. He was just so locked in. And, I mean, every, it seemed like every time he came up in the series, he got a huge hit. I'm right with you watching that first inning. I know it's the first inning, but it's the playoffs. And Manny Ramirez, was he was like Barry Bonds at that point. And, you know, in that moment, he was – you walk him every single time there's a base open. And I thought it was a great idea by Charlie. And then it was just so strange to hear them – jump all over him for doing it listen to these postseason numbers from that year you ready 13 for 25 this is in eight games 13 for 25 nine runs scored um four home runs 10 rbis he was a machine (laughs) he was an absolute machine they walked they mentioned they talked about jason worth um kind of battling with Manuel throughout that season to, for more playing time. And, and it makes you wonder, when you look at that roster, that's, that's why Pat Gillick's in the Hall of Fame, for being able to build not just that championship, all of his championships, but, but that shows you what a Hall of Fame general manager can do. Look at that team. Obviously, there's a lot of homegrown talent as the core of it, but the accessories that he put around that homegrown talent, from match, picking up match stairs, the waiver deadline, to taking a flyer on Jason Worth, the bullpen was – mostly guys that that he had acquired it's just it was like a it's just a perfect team right there and you know that that's what separates a general manager from a a really good general manager from a hall of fame general manager the the bullpen he constructed you know was that that was really his brilliance and then to bring in a matt stairs and 
he he had he had put Greg Dobbs, together. just like you know these you know, all these guys that were the best for right for what they you know, did. The, there, there, there are so many echoes uh, here to me of the 1980 team that we talked about last week, you know, where um, and, and I don't know, maybe maybe this is the signature of, of most great teams. The Phillies that happen to have had two great uh, two great eras of teams in their history. And and they they both had homegrown cores. You know, um, their superstars, for the most part, were all guys that that they that they drafted and developed for the most part. Uh, and then uh, lots of unsung heroes around around the edges, you know, um, uh, the almost the, you know, the 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 08 bullpen, you know, kind of rings of, of the a lot of the 80 bullpen with pieces like Durbin and and Scott Ayer, who gets big outs in this game, um, you know, around Madsen, who was kind of the Ron Reed and Lidge, who was the tug, you know, and 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 then you look at the bench and guys like Dobbs and Stairs. Dobbs started this game. Uh, that we're talking about, but Dobbs and Stairs, uh, Sotoguchi was a guy who'd been around a little bit with with the Cardinals and could could come up and give you a good at bat off the bench. I mean, these were the Dell Unsers and the Greg Grosses. So, Chris Chris Coase would be in yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely, he would. And Jeff Jeff Jenkins had the hit yep. of his life. Joe I mean, Blanton started yep. the game. I mean, Joe Blanton. Joe Blanton. Getting yeah, home. and he was four and zero. I think you know, like he wasn't like a rookie like Marty Bystrom was, but. You know, and, and it was a little bit of a longer look because he had two months versus Bystrom, who came up in September. But, you know, there are a lot of echoes of the 1980 team in, in, what, the, in what the 08 team was able to do and how they were built. So, so I'm going to throw this out there for you guys. Um, tell me, you're watching the telecast, what your, your favorite moment of the game was. I always liked the victory now home run because of but just the, I remember watching it live it just like it was so stunning to watch it because even and, and if you once you replay it off the bat that's not a home run it, on the way the camera feed is and that's how I remember watching it in my parents basement not thinking it was a home run and and thinking that you know this game's over and next thing you know snap of the bat it's out the game's tied and it's just for me that's always the moment I, I go back to the stairs home run is awesome but the Victorino home run is the one that kind of pulled me up from, from thinking the game was over. Oh, this is tough. Um, I, I, I'm partial to the stairs home run um, just because of, of just, just how well he hit it. I mean, it was, it was, it was perfect. You know, I mean, there was no doubt off the bat. Um, it was uh, it was a guy, you know, coming off the bench, having the moment of his career. You knew that was going to be the moment of his career. Um, I'm always partial to that, and it's 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 probably the obvious answer. But um, you know, I was sort of waiting the whole entire game to get to get to that. You know, so um, you know, I'll, I'll go with I'll go with the easy answer there. All right, I I have actually two, and it's they're more of the intricacies. Of I have this, no doubt this <laughs> this day. Uh, one is the Chase Utley Mike yes. after being called out on strikes yeah. and his conversation. So with good, Ted Barrett. It's it's like you didn't think, it, and Ted Barrett was just so cool. You know, he's talking to that guy. He's like, hey, you know, Derek doesn't think these balls are rubbed good enough. Um, you know, he's like, I agree with them. There's not. They need to be rubbed down more. Uh, and then this conversation with Utley, Utley's like, yeah, I don't think so. He's like, came back, came back. You don't think he came back enough? No. 
You know, but I got two more bats. That right? was, uh, <laughs> that was such a great conversation. And, and that was that was uh, Chase because, like, he would do that. You'd hear stories uh, over over time of of how he would do that. He'd have those little kind of little kind of conversations. He'd never lose his cool, but it was like kind of planting it in the in the umpire's head that, like, hey, you know, I know what I'm doing up here, and the next time it's close, you're going to give it to me. Like he had that yeah. conversation for a reason. He was right too. And they, other, when they replay it, that ball was like way off the plate. So Utley was was right. It was that was that was. But other guys might but, have sm- spiked their helmet or waved their hand or been dismissive. He calmly had that conversation because he wanted mm-hmm. it the next time. And odds are he probably was going to get the next the, the call the next time. So, but but my favorite moment, even above that, was when they started talking about yes. the mud. The, the to, to to rub up the, the Delaware mud. Like, now what's the, the well? What's the name of the what's the name of the guy? Do, do we know? Do we remember I, his I, name? I, I listened. I didn't. I didn't jot it down. Notes. His name is. He's. It's a fascinating story to me because it, it it's was all in my backyard. His name is Lena Blackburn, and it's not actually the Delaware River where he gets the mud. It's a tributary of the tributary of the uh, Delaware River, the Rancocas Creek, which is where I live. I, before I moved to the Jersey Shore five years ago, I lived wherever I lived was on the Rancocas Creek. That town sat on the Rancocas Creek. Uh, That's right near me. So I think, and he just got. It, it, well, yes, you're, yeah. you're very near now with living in Morristown for sure. But he, uh, but he played for the A's, and he developed this company, Blackburn Mud, getting this mud, and which they still to this day. Used to rub down the baseball. He was born in Clifton Heights, which is where my, which is where my grandpa, my uh, maternal grandparents lived. And he died in Riverside, which is where I went to high school. So, and I've always found the the, the guy fascinating. I always found the stories fascinating that that, that this mud was used from from um, you know just off the Delaware River. They're really a cool story. So the umpires, I, I didn't. The umpires are the ones that rub the mud on the baseballs. That's how they made no, it. Fun no, no. It's not. Oh, he okay. said umpire attendant, which like Dan which for, for the yeah. Dan, okay. Dan O'Rourke gotcha. does it for the Phillies. He rubs down the baseballs gotcha. every, before. That's, that's every how I game. thought, and then I, I guess listen, yeah. I got confused. I remember yeah. thinking uh, they never mentioned this on the broadcast, but the backdrop to this game, I guess it was more the backdrop to Game Three, but it was still, it was still kind of uh, very much in people's minds. Was. Um, after game two in Philadelphia, Charlie Manuel's grand, uh, uh, Charlie Manuel's mom and Shane Victorino's grandmother had both passed away. I remember Victorino being in tears in the clubhouse in Philly as they were packing to to, to leave. So it was kind of an emotional time, um, you know, in Philly in the Phillies universe. Uh, in addition to this game, so that was still very much a topic of conversation. And also prior to game four, we were talking a lot about the different strategies of the two managers in terms of how they were using their rotations. Derek Lowe came back on short rest uh, for the Dodgers. And instead of going to Cole Hamels on short rest, the Phillies went with Joe Blanton. And I think it was, it was emblematic of, or, or it signaled, I think what separated the two teams, which was uh, the Phillies were just deeper. They were deeper in every area and, and stronger in every area. They could go four deep in the rotation and they did so. And then they had a fresh Cole Hamels coming back for game five uh, to wind up clinching it. So I thought that was, that was definitely something I remember talking about a lot. Uh, would Cole come back on short rest and the Phillies not feeling like it was necessary? Doing, doing the reading, too, in, in, on the, 
that reading back on the game, I, I did not remember this, but apparently Cole Hamels was like ultra confident in his, you know, they do the starting pitcher for the next night, the day before the game. And apparently he went into the, to the, to the uh, interview room and just talked about how, yeah, we're not going to need a game seven. This is, we're going to end this before game seven. I mean, and which was very out of character for, you know, Cole was a, usually a guy who just, you know, would say the cliche type of things, but he basically said, nah, we're not going to need game seven. We're going to win this thing. He said, we're going to, we're going to really try to wrap it up here. Cause it seemed like Mike, a, big, Mike, to- LA. a big talking point was about game seven. If Moyer would pitch game seven, because he got, he got roughed up yeah. in game three. And it's funny. Yep. You see how angry, like Moyer, they flashed him one time in the dugout. And he looked so angry. Maybe it was still stewing at how he got chased early the night before. And think about how much that he rode into that for game three of the World Series and the way he pitched that night in Philly. And it's just, you know, a neat, he was like written off after game three of the CS, comes back to the World Series and pitches one of the best games of his life. You know, Mike Garbuckle told me years later, told me a great story about Cole Hamels uh, in that series. I mean, this is 2008. So Cole has been in the big leagues for two years. Um, this would be his third season. Uh, he's still very much a young pitcher. Uh, he was a guy who, when he was coming up, you know, he had issues like he, you know, he had the bar fight in Clearwater and there were questions about his maturity and, and all of that. And Arbuckle said, um, game five, uh, the day of that game, uh, they were getting on the bus to go over to the ballpark, to go over to Dodger stadium. And, uh, he gets on the early bus. Hamels is on the early bus and, uh, he sits down across the aisle from him and he's just trying to make casual conversation with him and he says uh so you must have you know you must have a lot of family here right cole was from right down the road in in san diego and hamill says yeah um i do my family's here but i i i made i made him stay at a different hotel like i i i want to be all about this game and i want to be all focused on this series i don't want any distractions i don't even want my family around until after the game i don't want to see anyone blah 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 and arbuckle said i just thought like we got this like we got this. Cole is locked in. Uh, and he said, honestly, he's like, I couldn't have been more proud of the guy because I'd been around him since the day he was drafted. And we had all these, you know, we had some questions about him. And I was like, nope. I mean, he's fine. He's going to be okay. And you sort of forget he was still a young pitcher at this point. Um, but yeah. Not, not, not that far removed from Mike Arbuckle being so mad at yeah. him because he got in the fight yeah, the bar exactly. water. <laughs> Only so so the idea that. that Hamels went into that interview room with supreme confidence, I mean, it jives with everything you, you've, you know, that I've heard about how he was approaching uh, his job at that time and, and, and how serious he was about, about what he was doing. Here, I got another question for you guys. Okay, how many stars Bar- did Barbara spot? Streisand. <laughs> Barbara Streisand and, and Eric Brolin or James Brolin, James Brolin. They, they were two. Go ahead. We got you know, more? I wasn't – I no, I don't. And, you know, it's funny because they come back from these commercial breaks and it seems like the, the, the broadcast we saw was edited a little bit. So we didn't see the commercials. Yeah, sure. and normally they come back from the commercials and that's when they pan the crowd and show all the celebrities. So I'm sure Larry King was there, but I didn't see him. Um, you know, who were the other Dodger regulars at the time? Jack Nicholson was probably there. Uh, I didn't so- see him. Okay. I saw Pat Sajak, uh, and I saw Penny Marshall, and, and her brother Gary Marshall were sitting okay. right by the Dodgers dugout. 
I, I, I was in an elevator me. during that series uh, with Alyssa Milano. That was my celebrity sighting live. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. It's a lot, a lot a of big one. stars at this game. But I, back to the Hamels thing, I think that's. I said earlier that this is why this this is the night that they felt like they clinched the pennant, and and that goes in the more of, you know, because you knew the next night they had not two nights later they had Hamels in Game Five. So at that that year, Hamels with the ball in his hand, you knew it was a win in October. And who's so who's your star of the game, Bob? Oh, wait, before we get to that, so uh, you mentioned McCarver being three for three now in our rewatches uh, in the booth. There's somebody else who appears in all three of these games. Uh, in, um, I know it. And, and Larry Bowen. Yes. Larry, Larry and Bowen. it was so weird seeing him in a oh, Dodgers that... uniform. I know he was a Dodgers coach and a Yankees coach, and he managed the Padres, so it's not like he's a lifelong Philly, but it's still so strange now to see him in another uniform. Well, it's, the other thing weird is, you, and this uh, you didn't see it, yes. but in the game three, him and David Big Lopes time. apparently jawed at each other. You know, I always, I, I always, I know, was amu- was amused by Larry Bowen and David Lopes, one arguing for the Phillies and one for the Dodgers, because when I was growing up as a kid, those two were on the opposite sides, and you know, bled Dodger blue and Philly red as much as anybody could bleed. Um, so that was cool. And then you, yep. Mariana Duncan, who I covered in '93. Was the was the Dodgers' first base coach? Uh, you know, Joe Torre. To think that Charlie Manuel two years in a row beat Joe Torre, this Hall of Fame incredible legacy manager, is, is quite a thing to think of. There's a ton of stuff like. And then Chan Ho Park came into that game a year later. Yes, and, and uh, I jotted this so, down, although I can't find it now. The number of Phillies players who wound up playing for the Dodgers later in their careers is staggering. You've got. You've got Utley, you've got uh, Ru- Carlos Ruiz, you've got Rollins, um, Rollins. Uh, you have, I have, there's a whole list. Um, uh, Joe Blanton, Victorino. Um, there were a lot of 08 Jason Worth played, played for the, the Dodgers, Dodgers before 08. Right, early yeah. in his career. There are just a lot of like crossovers. That, that That's really funny. So, Bob, who's your star of the game? Well, it's got to be Matt Stairs because I've just <laughs> never seen a ball crush that far. You know, Victorino's Victorino's home run was, you know, incredible, and it doesn't happen without that. But without without Matt Stairs, you know, that he had been there a month, and that, and if he'd never played another day in his life after the 2008 season, Matt Stairs would still be a hero forever in Philadelphia. So it's got to be Matt Stairs. Scott, who's got star of the game? I'm going to go Victorino on this one. I know I said the stairs uh, Homer was the moment I was uh, my favorite moment of the game. Uh, but I, th- I think Victorino was just a, so much a part of everything uh, from the throw in the first inning on the relay, um, you know, the play on the, on the loney ball uh, to the, the, to the home run to, you know, he just found a way in this series uh, in general to be in the middle of uh, literally everything, the Hiroki Kuroda situation the night before. And I was thinking back, I mean, He's probably got his playoffs I've ever seen live from the Sabathia Grand Slam, the homer off Wade. And then in 2013, he, uh, he hit a Grand Slam in game six of the ALCS against the Tigers when he was with the Red Sox. And then uh, in game six of the World Series that year, he hits a three-run double in game six, the clinch game. Those four hits uh, are probably four, uh, four of the top ten for sure and maybe four of the top six or eight uh, 
all-time most clutch playoff hits I've ever seen live. Yeah, he's a, he's an icon in two two franchises, which is not easy to do. And I'm going to go, Bob, I'm joining you. I'm going to go with Matt Stairs. I think there's only two options for this, Stairs or Victorino. I'm going to go Stairs just because of I, – I know, I, as a, you know, I, when I look back, I have fonder memories of, the, of what the Victorino home run meant, but the Stairs home run is just so incredible. And I think it, it really is what took the air out of that, that Dodger team. I, I, just the way it was hit. The reaction, the emotion, um, you know, that that won the pennant, that one swing. And it's funny, Tim McCarver is saying when Stairs is up, that talking about Broxton, that he'd be more inclined to go after Stairs here than Rollins, who was on deck. And you always want to go after the pinch hitter. You don't want to go against – you don't want to go after the guy who's in the lineup. And that's the next year. He yes. pitches around Stairs in the NLCS at Citizens Bank Park, and he gets to Jimmy Rollins. So it was some nice foreshadowing. For, for what would happen a year later. Oh, the one other great foreshadowing was during the ball, the, the mud ball thing, Joe Buck foreshadowing yeah, to yeah, football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How, how you're allowed to – He said you can bring your own balls. It's even in football they do that. Pre- yes. There was a pre- reference in the game to Deshaun Jackson as a rookie. Uh, that was mentioned. Also, uh, they cited yes. that Joe Blanton yes. was one for 19 as a hitter. And I thought, uh, foreshadowing his World Series home run, without yeah, a doubt, yeah. um, that, that, they would, that they would do that and talk about that. I, I wrote down, why did Greg Dobbs start? And as I was writing that, they mentioned he was 6 for 10. So I said, oh, that's why Greg Dobbs started. Um, but obviously, you know, Charlie goes back to Feliz, um, you know, here pretty quickly. Uh, so, yeah, there, was, there, was, there were a couple of little foreshadowing, uh, foreshadowing things in this game. That, that's what that's really I also wrote down I love Dodger Stadium and in some ways Dodger Stadium was the star of the game for me that is that is an unbelievable venue um, you know especially that you know the game starts almost in the daylight or the twilight and it's nighttime by the time it ends uh, everything about Dodger Stadium the setting of that place is 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 the best I probably had six or seven Dodger dogs that night it, it's a <laughs> That's good. It's a that's a great point, and and in this time we're in right now, they're talking about playing without fans. You know, just how much is the backdrop contribute to the theater of the game? Um, you know, and that Dodger Stadium is like, if not the best, certainly one of the top five great uh, theaters in all all of baseball for sure. And it's and it's. Kind of yep. sad what we're going Nights through right like now these, watching these it. games remind you of what, what we're missing. And we will do another game next week. We'll pick another classic game from the Phillies history. If you have any suggestions, hit us up on Twitter, send us an email, leave a comment on inquire.com, and maybe we'll, we'll pick the game that you want us to watch. If you're enjoying us, let us know. If you're not, let us know too. Thanks for listening. For Bob Brookover and Scott Lauber, I'm Matt Breen. This was Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer. You can read our content in the pages of the Philadelphia Inquirer every day and online 24-7 at inquirer.com. Thanks for listening.